Chapter Twenty Nine. Teresa had become constantly irritable. She felt she couldn't break out of herself. It was nothing tangible, but she felt hemmed in. She described it to herself as a heaviness, like having to cope with an oppressive atmospheric condition building up all around her. As soon as the kids were back and dinner had to be prepared and the homework had to be checked, her condition seemed to worsen. In London, she'd been used to the rushes of a hectic family schedule. Now there was her forgetfulness. The kids kept pointing out. Teresa would repeat herself. She would drop bits of food on the floor and not notice. She would stop talking and stare at the walls. She was more aware of it in the kitchen when the radio was on and there was a news report. It would be an item about America's political brinkmanship with the Russians, or the spread of a contagion somewhere, or if nothing else was going wrong, there was always the Brexit vote to worry about. Any of it amounted to the kind of far-off threats that would have been a welcome distraction at one time. But these days, the news only added menace to the whole nasty mix of Teresa's life. She would listen anyway and observe how absent-minded she was getting, overcooking meals, realizing all at once that she'd neglected to pay one of many bills she couldn't quite remember which, already weeks overdue. For a while, she tried a few music stations instead of talk stations, but the kids complained because her musical tastes were so locked in a lost age. A silence prevailed around the house, in tandem with Teresa's deepening despondency, because the radio had only ever really been an escape hatch. She came to realize that her most private preoccupation, sensing her missing husband as a danger and too afraid of telling anyone about it. Was the true background noise once the radio was gone? To compensate, she sometimes gazed at the television. Always late, though, after Jamie and Anya had gone to bed. It was such an amorphous thing; she hardly knew it was there. Yet this was the thing that had been threatening to crush Teresa's life. Reminiscing about the contentment her family once had wasn't going to help either. It only heightened her loss. She had to stop thinking about Barry at the pinnacle of his career, and the kids such a dream come true. This was the happy time Teresa knew she could never think of again. But where could she go instead? She felt so flimsy under her burden; it was becoming physical. How often would she sink into the sofa with a mug of tea and let it go cold? Face to face with her worst apprehensions, it looked as if Teresa's life was being mapped out in ways she couldn't have anticipated even a few months before. Eventually, if they survived this ordeal, her children would be grown-ups. By the time she was in her fifties, they would be gone, and she would be alone with her loss. Despite the dreaded gloom hanging over her, Teresa might have managed to avoid doing anything positive with a degree of comfort. She might have tolerated whatever was happening to her. She knew she had to shake herself from this. It was what was happening to her children that was so upsetting. The latest twist had been Jamie's friendship with a complete stranger. To some extent, it had focused Teresa's mind, if only negatively. She didn't want Jamie seeing this Willie Borsuk person, whoever he was. What sort of name was that anyway? 
She considered forbidding it, but that would only have driven Jamie into further secrecy, and there was enough secrecy in the house with Anya. Sometimes Teresa wondered if Anya should get some counselling. It was only because of the inevitable arguments and reprisals that she didn't suggest anything of the kind. She didn't hesitate to interrogate Jamie about the Borsuk stranger day after day. How often had they seen each other? Why hadn't Jamie told her about it? What was so good about him anyway? Jamie's replies were never adequate. They were evasive, sometimes downright alarming. He's just a friend, Jamie would say. Leave me alone, he would say. It's none of your business. Teresa once raised it late at night and nearly got some sense out of her son. She went into his room to tuck him in. This was something she hadn't done for quite a few months and realized, standing over him, that it was like old times for a moment, like reaching out to old times when Jamie had been at his most adorable and she and Barry had read him nothing but bold, simple stories. What are you doing, Mum? Tucking you in, is that a crime? Mum? Yes? What's an archaeoastronomer? I don't know. Is that something Mr. Borsuk talks about? He told me, but I've forgotten. He loves talking about time. Does he? Teresa was stroking a lock on Jamie's forehead when he lifted himself onto his elbows. Time isn't forever like you think, he said. Willie reckons it might have something to do with the way we see things. Does he? He talks as if time is something you might pick up like a tube and look through it. That sounds complicated. He knows lots of things. Like what? I don't know, funny things. Does he show you things? He told me he'd show me some places around here where he thinks people used to watch the heavens. Maybe that's what an archaeoastronomer is. Yeah, I guess so. He's really into ancient stuff. What else does he do? Jamie thought for a moment. He collects things. Teresa nodded. Jamie tumbled back onto his back and turned his head to the wall. He's got spears and instruments he thinks people must have used to make music. Do you think you'd like to be an archaeologist? There didn't seem to be an answer to this. But Jamie turned his head so suddenly it seemed to Teresa that his eyes flashed. Willie says you need to be careful what you dream about, he said. Teresa went to bed early that night. It upset her to think about Jamie as he used to be and to compare this to how he was now, less approachable, more like Anya. In Teresa's account of things, Anya had turned years ago and now she could see Jamie turning too. Lying in her bed, she called on the thoughts that might make her cry, even though it felt silly, crying like a child with nowhere to turn. Teresa convinced herself of her loss. She fashioned it that way in her mind so that fresh tears might come. Her misery told her that she would never escape the clutches of the evil swoon, dragging her downwards. But not at that precise moment. At that precise moment, Teresa's tears were a sign that she had decided to enter into the great struggle to overcome her ills. It would begin with the May Day Fair. This was the annual jamboree organized by the village. 
committee meetings were being held at the vicarage, with Louise Cratchit presiding, so everyone was certain to have plenty of tea, not to say a superior kind of biscuit. The big event was fast approaching, and Louise had been delighted to be able to welcome Teresa Heller to the committee, recently moved to Devon all the way from London. Teresa had very generously offered to organize the ever-popular sponge-throwing contest, and what a tremendous relief Louise had declared at the last meeting. It had been a close-run thing whether or not they would be able to have sponge-throwing at all that year. The fair had been revived from bygone times. The village had only been doing it for five years or so, even though up to the time of the Second War it had been a well-known event for miles around. Families from all over the county would come to revel and dance and sell their wares during the festivities. Nowadays, in keeping with more modern concerns, the village did it for charity, and once again Louise Cratchit had been delighted to confirm that all the profits would be going towards the plight of the refugees. Rodney Figger had been appointed local business liaison officer. He was an active presence among the largely female group, he had jumped at the opportunity to introduce Teresa to the others as they talked afterwards, and rested his hand on the small of her back as he guided her through the room. The intimacy had an effect on Teresa. It allowed her the freedom to share with Rodney, in a private moment, a worry she might otherwise have withheld. She spoke in a near whisper as they sipped tea in a corner. I'm concerned about Jamie. Is there anything I can do? He's been visiting that Mr. Borsuk. I shouldn't be too concerned. Teresa looked at him sharply. Rodney was smiling. Perhaps I gave the wrong impression the other day. You said there were rumors, Rodney. Louise Cratchit came into view, preparing to interrupt their little get-together. The way Louise was hovering and glancing at them, there was hardly time to conclude the conversation. Willie is an eccentric, Rodney explained. That's all I meant to say. He kept smiling as he took it all back. Get to know him, and he's as kind a man as you could hope to meet. Only the other day he was good enough to let me use his computer after mine packed in. Rodney broke away from Teresa to attend to their fluttering hostess. My dear Louise, he crooned, do you struggle with computers as well? Get to know the man, Rodney had said. Teresa wondered why she hadn't thought of this herself. Not long after, she was given the ideal opportunity. One Sunday, over breakfast, Jamie revealed that Willie Borsuk had been rushed to hospital. He'd suddenly gone blind while they were out walking. Jamie insisted that he had to visit the man. He begged his mother to drive him. Teresa wavered, but not for long. With just a few weeks to go, she'd thrown herself headlong into the work of making the coming May Day Fair the best one the village had ever seen. Later that morning, she was due to drive to a local farm to talk about hiring one or two ponies for the kiddies to ride on the day of the fair. She'd hoped to take Anya and Jamie along. She hummed and fiddled and said they wouldn't have time to do that and go to the hospital while Jamie nagged and persisted. When did all this happen, Jamie? Yesterday. You saw him yesterday? Jamie was straining. I had to take his hand and lead him back to his house. He made you hold his hand? He couldn't see, Mum. Anya was listening from the lounge and said, What a perv. 
Jamie ignored it, but Teresa didn't. The whole idea glowed in her brain like a red alert. It was as if Jamie might be taken from her any second. He was whining now, saying he wouldn't be able to go to the hospital any other time because of school, and he really had to visit his good friend. I talked to a nurse on his ward, he said. It's called St. Cuthbert's. She said it's okay to visit. Mum, please. Anya came into the kitchen. You called the hospital? To find out how he is. Anya gave her mother a look, more like a frown, turning her lips down, making her eyes go wide with conjecture. All the way to the hospital, Teresa thought about that look, the suspicion in it, the confirmation that it wasn't just her being overprotective. Had Anya not also felt that there was something doubtful happening to Jamie? Nobody was watching the televisions on the ward. Somebody had left it on, but there was no sound. There were two empty chairs in front of it. It was so warm, Teresa's eyes burned, and all the colors seemed to fade. She kept her coat on, though. There were eight beds, all of them occupied. Some of the beds had pieces of equipment wheeled alongside. Sacks of clear fluid hanging from the drips made her queasy to look at. Two of the beds had curtains drawn around them, plastic curtains with patterns of sunflowers, and the nurses fluttered in and out like blue butterflies. It was a high-dependency unit, overheated and almost silent, except for the machinery that blipped, and sometimes a cough or a groan. The silence made Teresa feel she ought to tiptoe. Her shoes squeaked. She'd undone the top buttons of her coat, but that was the only concession she could make to this place. She went by someone she imagined had just returned from surgery. The woman, fast asleep with an oxygen tank and a clear mask over her face, had bandages around her neck and damp, jaundiced skin. Teresa felt herself weaken as she made her way towards the windows, with Jamie leading the way. She saw the bed they were heading for, but was unable to see the patient's face at first. The bed next to his was one of those with the curtains pulled. There was a woman standing near it, talking to a nurse. To start with, Teresa's view of Willie Borsuk was blocked by the curtains and the woman standing there. She only saw him at the last moment, as she approached, and had the immediate sensation that she knew him. It was probably that she'd thought of him too often. Borsuk's long body was propped up on pillows. He was reading a paperback. He appeared healthier and more comfortable than anyone else on the ward. He was wearing a dressing gown open over his bandy legs. Teresa noticed it was a silky dressing gown. He'd thrown the blankets off and had his bare feet crossed. The first thing Teresa didn't like was his moustache. There was too much of it. Some of the grey hairs away from it were growing on his cheeks and around his lips. He had glasses on, but as far as Teresa could tell, his eyesight was fine. He looked at Jamie, then at her. Even though he had misty grey eyes, they had a fixed intensity. He didn't look. He stared. I hope you don't mind us coming, Jamie said. A twinge of a smile for Jamie was passed to Teresa, grudgingly, she thought. You've brought your mother, he said. Jamie glanced up at her. She's brought me. He nodded and stared once more. Teresa was annoyed. 
Why are you talking that way? she asked in her head, sending Willie Borsuk her malice. Leave my son alone, she thought. She didn't know what to do with her hands. She didn't like his foreign accent. Her own voice sounded strange to her. Jamie was telling me something about your eyesight being affected. Jamie had rested his hand on the man's bed. It was like an insult. I was lucky to have him, Willie said. What would you have done otherwise? Jamie asked. Waited till dark, Willie said. Then I would have walked towards any light source bright enough for me to see. As he smiled thinly, showing his teeth, his forehead wrinkled into a web of lines. More than likely, I would have been walking towards the moon, he said. Jamie smiled at that, their little joke. Teresa wanted to sit. There were no chairs nearby. She took a breath and blew upwards to cool her face. It was too hot on the ward. Why couldn't they open a window, she thought, or turn the radiators off? Your eyes do seem better, she noted. She saw then that he must be on a dialysis machine, whirring and juddering next to his bed. Tubes into his body took blood from an artery in his leg and returned it cleansed to a vein in his arm. The dressings where the tubes entered his papery skin were seeping. Willie folded the page over in his book and put it down. He rubbed the crooked bridge of his nose as if everything had to be considered. Teresa didn't like how deliberate his moves were. He cleared his throat and explained, I'm told my kidneys are failing. He smiled at Jamie. On our walk, my blood pressure was rising. It went so high, my retinas began to bleed. That's why I couldn't see. Since then, it's much better. Thank you. He raised his eyebrows at her. Teresa knew she would never like him, no matter how long it took. His voice was dry and bony, like his hands. She wondered if he was Polish. His toenails were too long. She wanted to get away from his influence. Had the boy not been there, he was saying, I would have been lost on the moor. I would have been finished. He deserves a medal for his presence of mind, Borsuk said, looking at Jamie contentedly. There was an absence of compassion in this telling of the incident. Teresa felt it sounded more antagonistic than grateful. She couldn't decide. She looked around, embarrassed. You look fine, Jamie said. Teresa turned back. I'll get some chairs. The woman who had been visiting the patient next to Borsuk was leaving. She smiled at Teresa as they both walked towards the brightest, liveliest object on the ward, the television screen. It was emitting hypnotic pictures and splashes of color. The woman seemed upset but reconciled to something. Her smile might have said something like, It was good of you to bring your son. It cheers the place up. Teresa smiled back. Hers was an unthinking smile. She was too absorbed by the television image of a burnt-out building in a town somewhere sunny. One side of it was nothing but rubble. The glass had been blown out of all the windows. The walls were scorched, and the area was still smoldering. There was a bright blue sky behind. The people in the picture were going about their daily business, paying no attention, some dressed in long robes and headscarves. A reporter came into the picture, a middle-aged woman with stringy hair and a small mouth, talking rapidly, pointing at the devastation behind her. Teresa stayed watching it all for some time before she turned her back on the image. She could see Jamie again, 
deep in discussion with this man he'd befriended. She didn't want to drag the chairs, but they were heavy. She had to pause for breath. Willie had his head bowed. He listened for a moment before he put his hand up to stop Jamie and said something that made Jamie laugh. I don't care if he likes me or not, she thought. The problem is he likes my son. Bizarrely, as she drew closer, Teresa felt the peace she'd wanted to feel all morning. She remembered the woman's smile, her reconciliation with life, perhaps a hint of determination. For weeks, Teresa had been making an effort to force away whatever it was that was pulling her down. Now, inexplicably, she felt more in control of the situation. She even smiled at Willie as she sat in one of the chairs. Whatever it is, she thought, it's not going to beat me.